Good morning. Uh, we're starting a new series today, and the reason we're starting a new series today, well, it's, it's like a new series, but not. We decided to go through the entire book of Luke, and that's going to take us a few years to do that. So we decided to break it up into small chunks. So it's a new series, but we're just continuing the book of Luke. We're starting from chapter 3, and we're calling it Emerge because from chapter 3 to the end of chapter 4 is when Jesus basically starts his public ministry. Like He comes out and says, all right, let's get this started. So it's like this emerging presence of Jesus in the world kind of deal. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, and uh, by the way, Happy New Year. I said that already? Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy 2018. Um, I don't know if you guys are into that whole resolution thing. Um, I used to be <laughs> until I got really depressed about not being able to keep any of them. So um, that's, uh, yeah, I don't have any resolutions for myself this year. But um, there are certain things that I feel like I need to constantly work on. One of those things would be that I want to be a better parent. Uh, I want to make sure that my two kids are exposed to, you know, good influences and good people and many cultures. That's one of the things. Um, one of the things that I've really been struggling with is that my parents, my parents uh, are from Japan and they don't speak English that well. And for that reason, they've been asking me, like, can you make sure that you teach Japanese to your kids? And they want to be able to talk to them when, you know, when they're able to articulate themselves. And I like that idea, except I'm not really good at it. So I was hoping that somebody else could take on that job, like maybe like go to a school that has Japanese immersion or, you know, something like that. So um, one of the things that we, we've been doing is we've been sending Justin, the oldest, to um, preschool. And in that school, the, most of the helpers and teachers are Hispanic. And so for Christmas last year, not this, uh, 2016, um, they, they did a song and it was in Spanish. It was called Burrito Sabanero. Or I don't know if I said it right. right. And this past year they did Feliz Navidad. And my parents were like, well, okay, Justin's speaking Spanish now, but we want to make sure that, like, that makes it even harder because we barely understand English. Now we don't understand Spanish at all, right? And I want to be, you know, but that's the situation we're handed. That's the situation that we're handed. We, I can't do anything about it, Right. And so the things I usually tell my parents are things like this, like, it's beyond my control. I can't control this because the system is set up so that our son learns Spanish before he learns Japanese, right? And, or I would say, like, Mom, Dad, it's not my fault that he speaks Spanish more than Japanese. It's, it's, it's the teacher's fault, right? Now, that's a really s- silly example, but I think we live in a culture where it's easier to point fingers and cast blame than to take responsibilities for ourselves. Like, for example... If your kid goes to school and he, you know, he or she gets food from the cafeteria and you're like, my kid, he or she, not eating well. You know why? Because the school system, they have really bad food. You know? or, or like my kids are getting bad content from the TV. Like, uh, like if they, the network just had better encouraging TV shows or, or the radio, my kids are listening to really bad music. It's because the radio doesn't have any better music. Or, or, or maybe it's like at a workplace. The reason I'm not performing to my fullest is because my manager. Ugh, it's his fault. It's her fault. My boss. If, if he or she would just encourage me more often, then I would do better at my job. Or, you know, have you ever been in a situation where you, all, where you, got, you found yourself saying, the situation I'm in right now, the performance I'm, I'm delivering, or the, the reason my kids are a certain way, it's beyond my control. When in reality, if you took responsibility regardless of who's above you, you realize it's actually your responsibility. You could actually make a difference. But it's easier to just point fingers to the people who have more influence than you. Have you been there before? Or is it just me and my kid? Like, I'm sure we've all been there, right? We all want to be better at what we do, but it's easier to just point fingers and say, it's because of the circumstances, it's beyond my control. It's not my fault, it's their fault. Now, 
Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 3, and this, the situation that we find the people of Israel in is a very similar situation. So I'm going to, I'm going to read you some passages, and at first glance you're going to be like, like, what does that mean? Like, I don't understand. So I'm going, to, I'm going to walk us through it so we understand the climate at the time chapter 3 starts. So let's look at the first verse of chapter 3. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, which at this point, only the history buffs are like, oh yeah, him. Everybody else is like, huh? Okay, it's get, it gets worse. When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, you heard of that name before, um, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, who? His brother Philip, okay, of, amongst all these weird names, we have a name like Phil, which it's like, okay, <laughs> um, of Eteria and uh, Traconitus, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, or Abilene, or I don't know, it sounds like a food. It's, I'll have Abilene for, you know. Okay, so what is this all about? Okay, so I'm going to, okay, the people who read chapter 3 for the first time, so this is about 2,000 years ago when it was written, they read this paragraph and they immediately know, knew exactly what Luke was talking about. So I'm going to try to get us there so we all understand we're on the same page as the people who first read this, okay? So I'm going to put up a map of the area that's Palestine, or more likely we'd like to recognize as Israel, okay? And that's, you know, all those lines are the territories of Israel at the time, 2,000 years ago. Okay, so I'm going to walk you through a little history here. Okay, next slide. So this guy right here, his name is Augustus Caesar. He called himself the Son of God, which... He's full of himself, right? And one of the things he did was he decided that he needs to take over the world, the known world. So this, he calls it the, we call it the Roman Empire. He took over the land, including Israel. So now that color represents his rule. Okay, so are you guys following so far? He likes to conquer, take over the world. He took over this land, which belonged to the, Isra- the people of Israel, okay? Now, he, we, he realized quickly, because his, his rule was expanding really, really fast, he learned really quickly that it's really hard to rule a land that's really, really big. Right? Like, he can't keep tabs on every, section, every inch of the world that he's taken over. So what he did was he decided to find some trusted people to help rule the land. And he'll check in with those people to make sure. You know, he's delegating. This is good, right? It's bad to take over the world, but it's good that he's delegating. Okay, so uh, next slide. So he got this guy in Licinius. He gave that part where the star is covering. That's Abilene, right? That's, he, he's like, you take care of that land. And this blue area, I'm going to give it to Herod. Now, as you can see, his name is Herod the Great. He wasn't, his parents weren't like, I'll name you Herod, and your last name is going to be the Great. He actually named himself that. So if you could call yourself the Great, you're pretty much full. That's the kind of guy he is, okay? Now, these people don't live forever, okay? So what happened, next slide, is Augustus Caesar, he eventually passes away. And then it's taken over by his son, who is Tiberius Caesar. That's where that name comes from, okay? Now, Augustus Caesar dies, and eventually Herod the Great also dies, but he has three kids, Okay, and those three people are, there's, there's Ant- Antip- that's Herod Antipas at the top, um, Herod F- Philip, that's the second guy, and the bottom guy right there, you probably never heard of him before, but his name is Herod um, Archelaus, 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 I don't know, he's probably like, you're butchering my name, but okay, but I have a mic, so, okay, so that's what's happening here, and when they did that, right, they realized that three people can't rule over one piece of land, so they split it up, so next slide. So they split into these three sections right here, right? And as you can see, Judea Samaria was given to the Archelaus guy. And um, that's where Jerusalem is. That's where all the religious centers of Israel is found. The, the blue section in the middle, that was, um, that was taken by Herod Phil, Philip, okay? And he, that's like Galilee. You probably heard that. And Panera, uh, that's, that's like the blue section right there. And the yellow part is the northern part. So 
all of a sudden that one region is taken over by four people who's overseen by the Caesar. Are, are, are you following so far? Okay. Now, around AD 6, the year 6, okay, um, there was kind of a revolt that happened in Jerusalem. And so Archelaus decided, I'm not going to let this happen, right? Because if I can't control my land, it's going to look really bad to my boss. And the boss is not, he's a short-tempered guy. So I want to make sure that I could do whatever I can to keep everybody under control. So what he does is that he kills 3,000 Jews on the holiest of days, which would be Passover. <laughs> okay, not a good idea. Because of that, a bigger revolt started, right? And once this happened, the Caesar was like, okay, Archelaus, you're off. You're, you're, you're no longer the leader. So next slide. So he was kicked out, okay? And he's like, I'm going to send one of my own guys, right? One of my own guys. And next slide. And then one of his own guys, his name is Pontius Pilate. Now, there was no statue of Pontius Pilate, so he's the guy from Passion of the Christ. <laughs> Maybe they could make a statue out of his, this guy's face. Okay. All right. So this is the climate that the world was in, okay? This is, so now imagine if you are a first century Jew, you're living in your land that God has given you, but for some reason you feel like you're not really living to your potential, right? God would bless us more if it wasn't for these four guys plus the boss, that's the fifth guy, right? I wish these people were out of here, right? Because these people, in order to maintain control over the land, because the way that they kept their jobs was making, proving to the Caesar that they could control the land that they were watching over, Right? So what they were saying was basically things like, if it means I have to kill somebody to keep everybody under control, then that's what I'm going to do. Or if it means I have to tax people in a certain way so that I could keep control over these people, then that's what I'm going to do. If I have to betray somebody in order to prove to the Caesar that I could control this land, that's what I'm going to do. And so the people who got the shoulder under the stick in this story were the people, the residents, the Jews. That's the situation that we're in right here. So now let's look at that verse again, and maybe it'll make more sense to you. Verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, so at this point, if you're a first century Jew, you're reading this and you're like, oh gosh, I can't stand this guy. If it wasn't for that Caesar dude, oh my goodness, we would be worshiping God and God would be blessing us and we'll have more crops or whatever they believe back then, right? Oh, I can't, believe, I can't wait for that guy to be gone. And Luke would be like, well, I haven't finished my sentence yet. It says, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, like, and they're like, oh, I can't believe that guy, Pontius Pilate. Oh, I can't, I can't wait for that guy to be out because if it wasn't for him, Jerusalem would be more free to do whatever we want. There'll be less taxes and we could be worshiping God and God would be blessing us. Oh, I can't stand that guy. I can't wait until he's gone. And Luke would be like, but I'm not done with my paragraph yet. He would say, oh, and Herod, tetriarch of Galilee. Oh, Herod Antipas. Oh, I can't stand that guy. I can't wait for that guy to be out because, oh, I can't stand him. And Luke's like, calm down. I'm not done with my paragraph yet, right? His brother, Phil. Oh, Phil. Oh, why does Phil have to be in this story? Because, oh, I hate that guy. And so you go through this list, okay? And you eventually get to the end of the paragraph. And at this point, you're like, this is the reason why our land is so bad. This is why I can't live my life the way that I think God wants me to live it. It's because of these guys. Ugh. Can't wait for them to be judged. Sulfur and fire from the sky. Come on, God, make it happen. Make it happen. So it's needless to say, this first paragraph that Luke puts in chapter 3 was meant to bring up like these emotions. Okay, so in other words, this is the attitude. The Jews had leaders they passionately hated and blamed. That's the, that's the setting of this story. Now, at this point, somebody could come in and say, but Kotz, if I was a Jew, okay, it's like, Kotz, are you really like, you're going to let these political leaders 
dictate your circumstances? Like, you're really going to let them, like, aren't you, aren't you like a follower of, of God? Are, are, like, really, these people are going to bother you that much? Well, aren't you part of like a synagogue or a, a temple? Like, aren't you, aren't you a, like a, a religious person? Like, don't you like have a priest like that you look up to? And Luke would be like, well, let me show you. Next verse. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. At that point, you would say, oh, I can't believe Annas is in this list. Oh, Caiaphas? Really? Okay, now, let me set it up for you guys. Annas was a high priest at the time. Now, usually you can only have one high priest at a time, okay? And Annas was known to be a priest that compromised on so many different areas, okay, that, that the people who would come into worship, would, would, they would try to ignore the fact that Annas is a high priest, but they would do their best to worship God. So to them, Annas was the guy who compromised. We don't like him as a high priest. As a matter of fact, he's such a bad high priest, and there could be a revolt that happens because of that, that he was actually kicked off by the rulers I just mentioned before. They said, you can't be the high priest anymore. And they put Caiaphas in charge, which is Annas' son-in-law. This is like a drama, right? Okay. And, and, but people knew that behind the scenes, Annas was still pulling the strings and making Caiaphas say the things that he was supposed to say. So that's why there's two names right there. So the first part, verse 1, People are like, all these political leaders, I can't believe who is in charge. I can't believe our country is going to go down the tube because of these guys. Ugh! If it wasn't for them, we'd be doing so much better. Well, what about the religious system? Oh, I can't believe these guys. These guys, oh, it's because of them that we can't worship God in the way. This is why we are receiving so much judgment. Oh, this is, right? So the question is, is there any hope? Is there any hope? And this is why Luke concludes verse 2 like this. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John. Now, at the time that this is written, John was a celebrity. He was dead by then, but people knew John to be a really, like, a man of God. So they're like, oh, yes, finally, John, yes. Of all these bad names that just came up, John, he is here. We're going to be okay, everybody. Let's sing hallelujah. Everything's going to be okay, right? I had coffee today. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Kelvin, for giving me that black coffee. Okay. Okay. And now like, the, key here is, the, key, the key here is that he was in the wilderness, which means that he wasn't in the city. He was outside the city. He was in the wilderness. Okay, so he was out in, in the place where most people wouldn't hang out. That's where he was. He went into all the country around the Jordan, that's the River Jordan, okay, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we'll talk about that later, but this is very important, okay? Now, what, what was happening here is interesting. There's a group of people in all these cities who realize that all these bad leaders and bad priests and the whole corruption of the system, that all these things were contributing to eventually a judgment from God. These people said, I read the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, when Nineveh was doing a bad job, they were like, God's going, I'm going to destroy it. I read the book of Genesis, where uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah story, where God judged the city. Like, we're pretty sure that that's going to happen now. And so when they heard that John was outside the city, they were like, we're going to go hang out with John and watch God destroy the cities. This is the, the, what's going on here. They're like, we can't wait to get away from the destruction that God's about to create, right? So I'm going to go hang out with John. That's what's going on in this story, okay? So let's see how John responds to the situation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, this is interesting. Some of you guys would just read through this and be like, oh, yeah, he's insulting people. The key here is you. The people who thought were the moral, moral high ground people, they're the people who thought the system is corrupt. I'm not, so I'm going to leave so that I can avoid God's judgment. These are the people that came out 
to John, and John looked at them and said, you brood of vipers, to which I would be like, me, no, no, my name is not Antipas. My name is not Philip. I am cuts. <laughs> like, I'm not the problem here. The system is the problem, not me, them. I, I'm pretty sure when he said you, you were talking about them, not me. I'm here to hang out with you because I'm one of the good people. I'm part of the solution, not part of the problem. That is what John is saying. It's like, no, no, you are also part of the problem. Why? He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He's like, I know what you're doing. You're trying to avoid God's judgment on the city by coming out so you're not washed away by the judgment that God's about to bring on the city. He says, that very mindset is the problem that we're in right now. What? The fact that you're, that you're like, there's a problem, so I'm going to distance myself as far as possible, that is the problem in itself. What are you talking about? Next verse. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He says, the problem here is this. You are supposed to be God's people. You are supposed to be blessing the people around you. What are you doing away from the evil in the world? If there's evil in the world, that's not a cue for you to run away and watch God destroy a city. No, 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 no. He says, if there's evil in a city, that's your cue to stay there and bless as many people as possible while you're there. You need to go back into your town, wherever you came from, and you need to start blessing the people, love on the people, care for the people, care for the poor, care for the widow, do all that stuff. The reason why there's so much evil in this world is because you're running away from the evil because you're afraid of God's judgment. And that second part of that verse I just read right there, he's saying, you are God's chosen people. If you are a descendant of Abraham, you're considered Jewish, right? And if that's you, then you're God's chosen children. You're God's people, right? It's like, you think that you get a pass? You think you have a higher moral ground because you call yourself a descendant of Abraham? He's like, mm-mm. Nope. You don't get a pass because you're God's chosen people. No, 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 no. No. If you think that is the reason why God's not going to judge you, right? He's like, God could just say, okay, forget you guys. I'm going to create a new group of people called God's people. He says, I could, he could even call out to the stones and say, okay, stones, now you are my people. They didn't really do a good job. They, the very purpose that they were put on this earth to do, they're avoiding because they're afraid that they might get involved in the judgment of God. Verse 9. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. <laughs> It's like, God is ready to cut you guys loose. So don't think that you're safe just because you call yourself a descendant of Abraham. Just because you call yourselves people of God doesn't give you a free pass. You still have a job to do. In other words, what he's saying is this. Evil thrives when good people point fingers and are only concerned about themselves. You're only concerned about your, your, your safety. You're only concerned about saying, like, that's the problem, that's the problem, the system's a problem, these people are the problem, those people are the problem. When you yourselves have responsibilities, and because you're just concerned about protecting yourself, and just because you're, you're, you're busy playing the blame game, because of that, you forgot what your actual responsibilities are. And he's saying that these evil deeds that these people are doing are flourishing because you're not there to be the salt of the earth. Now, at this point, if you were there and John's giving you this really bad, this encouraging speech, right? What would be your first question? It's the exact same question that you're thinking right now is the same question that they ask, which is this. Well, what should we do then? 
right? Like, okay, John, just tell me what to do. Just give me point one, point two, point three, and I'll go do it because I, you, you convinced me. Okay, I'll, I'll go do it. Okay, so John starts by looking at the crowd, these people who think that they're on a higher moral ground than everybody else, okay? He looks at them and says, okay, this is what I want you to do. Number one, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. He says, do you have an extra shirt lying around that you're not using? Give to somebody who needs a shirt. Start there. Do you have too much food in your cupboard? Yeah? Okay, well, the food you're not going to eat. It's like, I'm not even asking you to starve yourself to help somebody else. I'm asking you, if there's too much food in your, in your, in your fridge, take the extra food and give it to somebody who actually has needs. Start there. Really? By sharing food, I could actually make the situation in that city? He's like, yeah. Start simple. Start simple. Do you have two shoes that, and you only use one? Give that shoe to somebody who needs the shoe. You know? Does somebody need baby, like, do you have extra time on your hands? Do you know somebody who needs babysitting? <laughs> right? <laughs> Go share your time. Right? <laughs> it's like, do what you can just to help the people around you. Now, the next verse is very interesting, okay? Because, remember, only the quote-unquote good people came out to avoid the judgment of God, right? These people came out. Okay, and, and in that group, people who call themselves righteous are also these people called tax collectors, which tells you that, okay, now tax collectors back then were the worst scum of society. That's how they saw them. And it's the fact that these people who pulled themselves out of society to say that we're good and everybody else is evil and the tax collectors are in it kind of tells you that these guys don't know how to assess themselves, right? So now these tax collectors show up, and they're like this. Okay, this is what they're saying. They came to be baptized, and he said, Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Okay, now let me set up the scene for tax collectors. Tax collectors were hired by those evil men that I just showed you on the screen a few minutes ago. Okay, and these people were called, their job was to collect taxes from the people to keep order, but not only that, but to make money for the, to pay for the soldiers and every, everything else that they didn't like. Okay, but if for these people to get rich, these tax collectors to get rich, they were given the, the, the freedom to overcharge people so that the extra excess money could go into their own pockets. So these people come to John the Baptist and says, we're out here with everybody else because we, we want to watch the city burn. We're the righteous people, right? And he's like, so John, what do we want me to do? His answer? He says, don't collect any more than you're required to. He didn't say, go quit your job because you're working for the enemy. He didn't even say that. He said, I want you to keep your job, but do it in the right and honorable way. Now, he's making an interesting point here. Okay, this is the point. is If you don't agree with the system that you're a part of, right? don't distance yourself from that system. Right? If you're part of the group who says, I don't like the police, like the LAPD or whatever PD you, know, you could think of, right? right? He's saying, don't quit your job. He's saying, work within the system to change it from the inside out. Be honorable in your profession. If you're a part of a company that you think is like compromising left and right, he's saying, don't leave that, that, that company. Stay in there and do the right thing. And once you work your way up, then you can make decisions that could honor God through that company. So he's saying, don't escape, don't pull yourself away from the city or the company or the industry or the organization that's causing problems, like these people were. Because if you do, then John will look at you and say, you brood of vipers, right? He's saying, stay there and do the honorable thing and work your way up. So at this point, the tax collector is like, so I could keep my job, I just can't, okay, so that means I'm going to be a little poorer, okay, I got it, okay. And next, the soldiers come. 
These soldiers are people who work for the temple. They're soldiers for the temple. And this is what they asked. And what should we do? John's response, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. In those days, soldiers, they didn't get paid that much. But what they could also do is, let's just say they're soldiers, they're protecting your village, right? But they're just keeping order. They're not really protecting your village, right? What they would do is, because they were the only ones that were allowed to be armed, the villagers weren't allowed to have swords and stuff like that. They would pull out their swords and they will threaten people and even accuse them falsely saying like, hey, I know you did something uh, that, that I can't prove, but I'm just going to say you did, right? So you better pay up. And that's how they made their living. And so again, John doesn't say, go quit your job. He says, keep your job, but do it in an honorable way. Be content with the pay you have, because that is how you're going to honor God. You're going to do the best at the job that you currently have, because that's how you're going to honor people. So, now let's step back and look at what John's doing here. He first looks at everybody and says, this is what I want you to do. If you have two of something that you're not using, give the other one away to somebody who needs it. In the job that you have that people despise, keep your job, but do it in an honorable way. That's what he's saying here. These small acts of of goodness in your everyday life. That's what he's saying. And then he concludes by saying this. And with many uh, many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This encouraged them. This made people say, oh, I get it now. I, I see what you're trying to say here, John. Now, what is John trying to do here? What is, John, what is the plan that, that John has here? What is the main thing that he's trying to communicate to people? Well, in order to understand that, we have to go back to verse 3. I said I'll come back to it, and here we are, right? John went into all the country around the Jordan River, okay, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What is he talking about here? So let's take a look at these two words that are really important, okay? Baptism and the River Jordan. Because these two words have a load of meaning attached to it. And I can't unpack everything today for you guys today, but I'm going to talk about the things that really matter to this story. Okay, first of all, in those days, if you were a Jewish person and you're worshiping God and all that kind of stuff, and there's a person who's not a Jew, who's looking at the situation and saying, I want to be part of that. There's a list of things you have to do. Like if you're a male, you have to get circumcised. You have to you know, learn the law and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things you had to do was partake in one of their past experiences, which is, one of the big things that the Jewish people did in the past was they went through the Red Sea, went down, came back up, and they were free from the Pharaoh. Remember that story? Okay, that was a part of their culture. They talk about it every year, right? And so in order for you to understand that, they had also this ritual where you had to go under the water and come back up, and that was called baptism, right? So in a way, that was their way of initiation. Like, that was their way of saying, you want to be part of us? Then you have to go through this submerging water thing ritual in order to be able to connect with our past. So, so baptism is actually an act of initiation. But what about this Jordan? What, why? Okay, John could have done the whole baptism thing anywhere. He could have done it in the backyard of somebody's house. Right? He could have done that. But he went all the way outside of the city to the River Jordan. Why did he do that? It's because the River Jordan has significance to the people at the time. 1,400 years before this story takes place, I'll show you that map again, okay? 1,400 years before um, this whole thing took place, next screen, um, the blue line that's going vertical right there, that's the River Jordan, okay? 1,400 years ago, these people were slaves in Egypt. These guys were slaves. And God called Moses to go in there and pull everybody out and said, follow me, we're going to go to the promised land. 
By the way, the word promised land is not found in the Bible. We just like to call it the promised land. So he's like, let's, let's go to the promised land because God promised it and it's a land. So let's go there. And so God, says, so God said, Moses, I want you to go in this direction. And for 40 years, they traveled through the desert. And they eventually got to the River Jordan. And God said, on the other side of that river is your destination. That's going to be your land. And when you enter there, I have a great mission for you. I have a great purpose for you. And the purpose is this is going to be the hot spot. This is going to be the place where you are going to go and live out what God originally called you to do, which is to bless the people and care for the people, introduce people to who God is, love on the people. And you're going to be the example that people are going to look at to say, gosh, what is humanity supposed to look like? Well, look at that land over there. Those people seem to know how to live their lives. And so they had to cross the river, uh, but Moses was allowed to go. Mo- Moses had to die on the other side of the river. So next slide. So these people, they had to cross the Jordan River, okay? And the thing that they did was they had to go into the water and out the water, and, and when they arrived on the other side, they are like, we're finally here. We could finally live out the purpose that God has called us to do. So that's the significance of the River Jordan. So if baptism means initiation, the River Jordan re- represents God's purpose, original purpose for the Israelites. So what is John really saying here? When John is doing these actions at the Jordan River, he's really saying this. He's saying, guys, join me. Join me and let's return to the original purpose that God has called us 1,400 years ago. It's like, remember when God said, this is your land and we crossed the Jordan River? Remember that? Remember that day? Well, you weren't alive, but remember how your ancestors told you those stories? Remember that? It's like, let's get back to that. So if you want to get baptized by me, great. Let's get baptized. And as you come out of the water, go back to your city and live out the purpose that God had for us from the, from the very beginning. I want you to go back to your city and start blessing the people around you. I want you to go back to your city and start caring for the people who are oppressed. I want you to go back to your city and tell people about who God is. That's what I want you to do. This is what John was doing at the river. So go and share the extra food you have. Go and share the extra clothes that you have. Don't quit your job, tax collectors, but do it honorably. Soldiers, you keep doing what you're supposed to do, but do that honorably because that was the original purpose that God placed on on our country. And for some reason, we lost sight of it in the past 1,400 years. Let's get back to that. That's what John is saying here in chapter 3. I mean, for our church, Westlight, the purpose that God has called us to do is to experience heaven together. That wherever we go, we could spread the love of God and care for the people around us. And if we were at any point to deviate, deviate from that, we need a character like John to say, guys, remember that day that we came up with that statement, experience heaven together. That was our vision statement. We need to do everything we can to stay on track with that. That's what John is doing here. And what he's really saying above that, the concept that he's trying to teach us is this, that big changes occur when God's people have genuinely repented of the small-scale injustices. We see some problems in our society, and the thing that we try to do is we try to go protest or do something to change that system, that big system that seems so overwhelming. John would say, that's not the way we're going to approach this. It's not by rebellions that we're going to fix the situation. It's by one simple act, one simple small act of fixing the things in our lives. That is how we're going to fix this. If everybody in Israel started loving their neighbors in the way that God called them to love them, It doesn't matter who's in charge. It doesn't matter if Caesar lived to be 100 years old. The people in Israel will be all right. Right? It doesn't matter if if it's Pontius Pilate that's taken over your city. If the people in the city knew how to love on on each other and care for the people who needed help, 
It doesn't matter who's in charge of the city. You guys are going to be okay. The love of God is going to continue to spread, and everything's going to be okay no matter who's in charge. That's what John is saying here. John is saying, so guys, I know the problems are the leaders that are taking over the land. I understand that. But the greater problem is that you guys aren't doing anything about it. You guys are in your workplace living out what you're supposed to live out. You're not in your neighborhood loving the people you're supposed to be loving. That's the greater problem of the situation. Yeah, we could keep pointing fingers and saying, oh, it's because of the system, it's because of them, it's because Katsi or teachers are, are Spanish speakers more than Japanese. Like, you could point fingers all you want, but the, per, the whole reason that this whole problem is happening in the first place is because you, as you know, whoever you are, whatever role that God's given you in your life, you're not living out your faith in those areas of your life. That's what he's saying right here. And the reason why this thing is called the, repent- the baptism of repentance is because the word repentance in Hebrew literally means to turn back. He's like, you need to get baptized and remember going back to the original purpose that God has given you. So what areas of your life have you feel like you've deviated from? Maybe it's your job, the job that you have right now. You've been praying to get a job and you finally got it. And you said, God, thank you for giving me this job. I promise I'll honor you with this job that I have right now. And now you've been in it for a long time and you've forgotten that that was the reason why you have that job in the first place. Or maybe you've been praying for a house and you got that house and you said, God, I'm going to love on this neighborhood, whatever it takes. I'm going to care for the people here. And years later, you're like, I hate my neighbors. Ah, I'm just going to move away and watch God destroy this neighborhood, right? God wouldn't have to destroy a neighborhood if you were there loving on the people in the first place, Right? Or you've been praying for a king, like, God, just give me a child. And now, a few years later, you're like, I wish I didn't have children. (laughs) You've forgotten your purpose. You're supposed to love on the kids. Raise them in the way of the Lord. Maybe you've been praying to get into that school and you finally got in. And you're like, and just the day that you got that letter saying, welcome to the greatest school in the world, UCLA. And you're like, yes, God, I will do everything I can to honor you with this school. And now you're like, I can't wait to get out of this school. This school is the devil, you know, right? (laughs) Remember, it's easy to point fingers and blame. It's easy to just protect yourself from the evil in the world. But God has called all of us to make a difference in the places that we are right now. Amen? Amen.